0: Hey, good afternoon, Community Church West Garden Grove, and all the other folks too. I'm um, catching up on a couple podcasts that I was not able to record on Sunday morning. Um, this week, we are going to look at the Israelites crossing the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 3. Um, here's my kind of opening question to you, and you can just kind of think about this on your own. If you had an hour or two to yourself, would you rather sit beside the ocean or a river? Would you rather sit beside the ocean? or a river, and we had some funny questions about this during the church. Um, Don't worry about that if you live close to the ocean or close to a river, it's just, you could just magically show up at an ocean or a river. Which one would you rather sit by? Me personally, I'm a little bit more of a river person. Um, I think of some of the amazing rivers I have seen, uh, the Trinity River in Northern California, the American River, river, uh, Kern, King, kind of all central Northern California, I don't know, to me, I just love sitting by a river, experiencing it on all five sensory levels. I love to just kind of the smells. Um, I guess you taste the water, uh, the the noises it makes, the way that the water feels, the way that it touches, just everything about it is is just, I'm a river guy. Um, but here we find our Israelites and they're on the edge of the Jordan River during flood season. And they need to cross over to enter the promised land. Now, the last teaching, I had you go into maps, uh, your your map application or however you would look at that. The Jordan actually originates up in Mount Hermon, which is north of the Sea of Galilee, these tall mountains kind of up in the northern part of of the nation of Israel. Um, During springtime, the snow melts and all that snow melt, all that snowpack runs into the Sea of Galilee which the Sea of Galilee then kind of flows into the Jordan proper um, that we all know. The Jordan proper, it connects the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea, right? Um, So this Jordan River connecting the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea drops on average of about nine feet a mile, which makes it kind of go pretty fast, especially during this flood season. The Jordan name um, actually translates to to the word to descend. Yarden is the, the Hebrew name for the Jordan River, and, and the root of that, Yardad, um, or sorry, yarad is, is this Hebrew word, this, this root word that means to descend. So the Jordan River, the name, it means to descend, to go down. Now, when you think about the Jordan River, normally it's about 100 feet wide. Maybe you've seen pictures of this here or there. Um, but what's interesting about the Jordan River is it could swell up to a mile wide during flood season it could get to be about 10 to 12 feet deep. And that water, again, which is descending from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea, would move incredibly fast. Now, the text of the Israelites crossing the Jordan River, when they actually make this crossing, this impossible crossing, happens in Joshua 3, 1 through 17, and then again in 4, 1 through 24. And I, I don't know if we have time to read all of those verses at the moment. Um, I would highly encourage you to read those on your own. But those are, those are the passages. The outline of the story is that uh, Joshua instructs the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant and go stand in the water. And as they stand in the water, again, there's a miracle that happens just like at the Red Sea where the water stops flowing and the Israelites are able to traverse through on dry land. So that's kind of the outline of the story. And if you got a Bible, just pause. Go read that for a little bit. Maybe you pull out your mirror from last week um, and you just kind of read Joshua 3, 1 through 17, or just all of Joshua chapter 3 and then all of Joshua chapter 4. Um, and you just kind of get a, a little bit better of an idea of what those the, the whole story is about. But as you do that, um, let me go back to this narrative for a second. Because the way that this narrative works, it's called a chiastic structure. It's a mirror structure. It's a a memory device that you would use um, to help you understand the story. So in Joshua chapter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, um, Joshua is giving the Israelite people instructions. There's a passage of instructions. Then in chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, the Israelites cross over. Then in chapters 4, 1 through 10a, God instructs the people. He says, hey, I want you to um, have these 12 stones to remember. Then again, the chiasm, the mirror structure begins to mirror itself back. So in chapter 4, verses 10b through about 18, it tells the crossing over narrative again. And then in 18 or say 19 through 24, it gives instructions again. So if you were to look at it, and what I do is I like to kind of draw almost like a little, almost like in a triangular way, it would go instructions, crossing over, stones of remembrance, crossing over, and then instructions. So let's grab just a little piece from each part of this chiasm, this mirror structure. So this first part of instructions, um, this is verse 5. Joshua tells the people, here's this amazing verse, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Now, in the Old Testament, Israelites would perform certain acts, certain rituals as ways to make themselves pure or holy or or consecrated um, for special days. And this might involve washing clothes. This might involve abstaining from sex. It might involve con- confession of sin. All of these things were detailed in Torah, right? And they would do this as a way to prepare themselves. Now, again, here's a mirror moment. What we do today determines how we experience tomorrow. What we do today determines how we experience tomorrow. So here's a really just simple idea in a in very physical realm, right? Uh, Halloween just passed and we literally have one of those giant Trader Joe's bags full of Halloween candy. I mean, just full of it. If I decided that today I am going to or uh, today I'm just going to spend my entire day eating that candy, what I would do today would deeply affect me probably not only later today, but tomorrow. I would be physically sick from that much candy. If I decided not to drink water, decided I don't need any water, I'd be dehydrated, I'd have a headache, I'd be grouchy, I'd be irritable, I'd be slow and sluggish. Think about it on the emotional level. Somebody burns you, somebody hurts you, somebody frustrated you. And you spend the entire day thinking about that, meditating on that, telling them off in your brain. Um, Think about how all of that emotional energy towards bitterness would affect you, not only today, but tomorrow. Now, then is there a spiritual dimension in which the actions and activities we choose to partake in will affect and determine how we will experience tomorrow? Is there a spiritual dimension in which the actions and activities we choose to partake in will affect and determine how we will experience tomorrow? This sentence that Joshua says here in verse 5, consecrate yourselves, purify yourselves, make yourselves holy, for tomorrow the Lord will, be ama- will do amazing things. I would say this sentence is true about every single day we live our lives. You know tomorrow the Lord's going to do amazing things? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that every day of your life that the Lord wants to do amazing things? Uh, Dale Davis in his Joshua commentary says, could it be that we even fail to detect the Lord's marvelous working in the routine affairs of our lives simply because we, not, we have not prepared ourselves to see or even expect that? Let me read that one more time. Could it be that we even fail to detect the Lord's marvelous working in the routine affairs of our lives simply because we have not prepared ourselves to see or even expect that. Maybe a question for you is this: Is there an action step you can take today to prepare yourselves for tomorrow? Is it prayer? Is it fasting? Is it silence? Is it maybe it's taking a step of evangelism, of boldness? Is it meditation? Is it memorizing scripture? Is there a way that you can consecrate, make pure, make holy yourself today so that tomorrow you will be more aware, have eyes to see the amazing things God wants to do? The second piece of this is the crossing over. So we go from instruction to crossing over. I'm going to kind of jump forward to chapters, to chapter four and read verse 10 and 11 And then in the second crossing over, I want to go back to chapter 3. So I'm just going to flip-flop them a little bit. Um, So chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Here's an interesting piece of this this, um, passage. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. One of the pictures we get here is that of the priests who are carrying the ark, standing in the water while all the people are crossing through, right? The priests are just kind of standing still. Remember last week we talked about Moses teaching the Israelites just to stand firm, to be still. And the priests are just standing still so that the others could get across, so that they could transition from the wilderness to the promised land. In some senses, they didn't do anything. They just stood there, right? In some senses, literally, they are doing everything just by standing there. Here's the challenge I would say. Peter, in in his letter in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he calls us all priests. He calls it the priesthood of all believers. And I would say that there's a challenge here as we think about this, that we are called to stand in the river in the presence of God so that others might have passage into the promised land. And this isn't just the work for the pastors or the clergy or the paid staff. We are all priests. We are all called to help those people around us transition. Is there someone, maybe the Lord is putting on your heart, who you are helping transition from wilderness to promised land? Sometimes this takes an incredible act of boldness, right? There's this act of boldness where you actually think about the priests when they first, put their feet in the water, and the water was still flowing. And as soon as they put their feet in the water, the water stopped flowing. So sometimes it's an act of boldness, and sometimes it's this act of just standing there in the middle of the river and just waiting for people to get through. Um, One of the things I think about here is parents doing this for children. This is a lot of parental work in which you stand in a child's life and you help them transition from one shore to the other. So the middle of this now here is these stones of remembrance. So Joshua, the Lord instructs Joshua to have the Israelites create these stones of remembrance. Verse four, chapter four, verse one, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe and tell them to go take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priest stood and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua calls together his men and he says, hey, go get some stones in the middle of the Jordan. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. Um, And then he says uh, in verse, in verse eight, the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of Israel, of the Israelites. And as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at a spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, I was joking with some folks, and I still kind of joke about this, but, you know, we've done the series on the mountain of Matthew at the beginning of 2020, and then we kind of started talking about a theology of trees, and here we are uh, walking in water. I am getting very tempted to do a whole series on rocks in the, in the Bible, Um, probably not serious enough, but I, I, I am thinking about it, but these stones of remembrance are so important. Dale Davis in his commentary has a brilliant commentary on the book of Joshua. He notes this incredibly profound and challenging word. Here's, here's his challenging word to us. The greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. Let me say that again. The greatest enemy of faith may be Forgetfulness. Now think about the sin in your life. Think about the times when you've fallen short. Think about the times when you've blown it. Could you link that to forgetfulness? Could you link some of those things to forgetfulness, that you've forgotten God's presence with you, that you've forgotten that the person who you are so angry with is also a child of God who's broken and flawed and needs help? When you've lusted or become uh, greedy or anxious, or had incredibly proud moments, that you've forgotten what God has called you to be. Listen, this morning when we gathered, and maybe you could do this right now too, where you would just go to your, your kitchen and you'd get a little piece of bread and juice or wine, and you would remember Christ. You would take the bread and you'd take the, and you'd take the wine And you would break those two symbols, and you'd say, Today, Jesus, I remember you. Listen, as your pastor, I will drag you back again and again and again to the Eucharist and say, I want you, if nothing else, to remember Jesus. And if you forget, when you don't remember God's presence, His miracles, His goodness, His correction, His companionship in our lives, you even can end up, as the Israelites did, becoming the very thing they hated, right? The Israelites became the very thing they hated because they forgot. They had just escaped Egypt, the life of slavery. And it is only a few generations later when Solomon is now building a temple built by slaves. Why? Because they forgot. And so when Dale Davis says, that the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. We know that it rings true. Crossing over part two. So again, it goes instructions, crossing over stones of remembrance. I think the kind of center of the story is these stones of remembrance. And then crossing over part two. We're going to go back to chapter three. And this is chapter three, verse 10, verse 10, where Joshua says, this is how you will know that the living God is among you, right? And I just loved that phrase. Right, because what's interesting here is that the living God isn't isn't technically among them, right? God had given them instructions that the ark would actually be traveling a half a mile ahead of where the Israelites were. Normally, um, as the Israelites kind of traveled throughout the wilderness over these past forty years the Ark would remain among them. It would remain in the middle of the camp or the horde or this traveling group, right? And in some senses, they did that because the Israelites would protect it. If any sort of raiding clans or tribes wanted to come steal um, the artifacts and the treasures, um, they would have to get through the camp because it would be in the middle. But now the Ark is ahead. Now you can't see it. and Now there is a call that not only the Israelites are not protecting the ark, but that the ark is protecting them. Think about the ark a half a mile ahead. Think about God. Whatever your situation is, God is already ahead of you, active and living. Again, whatever your situation, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, man, God is ahead of you. He's leading. He's protecting He's providing, he's planning. I want you to remember that. Instructions, crossing over. Stones of remembrance, crossing over. The last piece is the instructions. Chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. Joshua says to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? You tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, right? And so God, God through, through Joshua, gives this command to the Israelites that I want you to begin to tell this story to the future generations, right? I want you to begin to tell this story to the future generations. One of the things we've done at the church, I'm so proud of it, and obviously this has been an off year, but we have been doing so excellent on calling every single person to serve in the nursery. Why? Because just, just like Joshua told the Israelites, we, we, expect, we want to tell that next generation. We want to share with that next generation our testimony, what God has done for us, the way that God has been faithful to us, the way that God has saved us, the way that God has provided for us, has led us. And that's why in these last instructions, Joshua gives to the Israelite people. He says, "Pass." this on right and again kind of going back to the remember piece not only i want you to remember but i don't want anybody to forget okay that's about it so think about that over you as you read this kind of narrative of joshua of the israelites crossing the jordan river um yeah may this encourage and, and, and bring nourishment to your soul may you hear god's voice in the midst of it um and i love you guys miss you guys and we'll see you we're going to have second Sunday coming up this week um, and then after that we'll be back at the Teen Center and we're going to look at the at the rivers at the at the rivers of Babylon after the exile take care.